This episode is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Gamefly has over 8,000 new releases and classics available to rent for Xbox One, Xbox 360, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, PS Vita, Wii U, Wii, and 3DS, as well as older systems. As a Gamefly member, you can rent as many console or handheld games as you want and get them delivered right to your mailbox for one low monthly fee. If you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, you can keep it for a low used price. There are never any due dates or late fees. Gamefly also offers the ability to rent Blu-ray and DVD movies as part of the regular service at no extra charge. They're offering a premium three-day trial for free. That's one game out shipped directly to you with a pre-addressed envelope included for easy returns. No contracts. Cancel any time. You can get this 30-day free trial at GameflyOffer.com slash devchat. That's GameflyOffer.com slash devchat for a 30-day free trial. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Hal Fulton. Hal, do you want to say hi? Hi there. So you're the author of The Ruby Way, which was one of the books that I picked up when I started programming in Ruby quite a long time ago. And it's still being published, and it's still up to date, so far as I know. It's Is relatively it? up to date. There's a third edition that's like a year and a half, two years old. Okay. Do you want to just give us an introduction as far as uh, some of the other things that you've done and, and where you're at these days, and then we'll dive into the interview? Oh, gosh. Well, I spent um, a long time in Austin, Texas, and I'm in Fort Worth right now trying to move back to Austin. I have, um, gosh, I might have had a really excellent computing career if I weren't interested in, like, too many other things. <laughs> I'm one of those people who kind of has knowledge like a mile wide and an inch deep. Mm -hmm. You know, I just try to make sure that in places it's two or three feet deep and, you know, I can like pay the bills and everything. But, um, I don't know. I, um, I still love computers and I still love programming, but I cannot keep up with everything anymore. I mean, I can't even pretend to. Like, I don't know the you know, the JavaScript framework of the month, you know, for the last five or six months, and that kind of thing. Um, I'm not yeah. really interested in web programming. That, that's uh, that's me as a dinosaur. I'm, I'm what they now call a back-end guy, I guess. An old-fashioned generalist. You know, it's, it's interesting. So I don't know if that answers it does. Um, it's interesting, though, because a lot of people that I talk to, they they kind of have the same concerns in a lot of ways. It's, you know, I, I can't keep up with everything anymore. You know, I, I don't know if I'm really interested in where the mainstream is headed. And, you know, it's like, well, so so where do I fit? Or, you know, what, what should I be picking up or learning or doing nowadays? And how do I how do I wind up doing the things that I really love to do? And and so, yeah, hopefully we can dive into some of that and talk about some of the things that you're doing and working on that, you know, can help answer that question for a few people or at least uh, get them sure. a little further down the road. So the first question that I usually ask people, we're going to go back to the beginning of your programming career. How did you get into programming? Hmm. Well, first of all, you have to understand that I'm a thousand years old. So um, 
Well, some people get into programming at age 12 or 8 or whatever. I didn't really have the opportunity to do that. So I kind of, um, I basically got into programming the first chance I had, which was um, when I had just turned 17, I went to a summer program for gifted students. It was a, a six-week program at a, at a college and it was dealing with um, genetics and population genetics. And we had uh, lab work, and we learned some mathematical models, and we learned a little bit of basic, and we programmed mathematical models for population genetics on a, a mainframe that we accessed remotely. And I was instantly hooked. I put in my first uh, all-nighter at the age of 17, like probably within two weeks of touching a computer, I had one of those nights where you are just glued to it and you and the computer become one thing and you're inseparable and, you know, sleep is so overrated. And, and from then on, it was kind of magic. That, uh, that timeshare system, I remember some things about it. It was, um, of course, very primitive by today's standards. There was a thing called MUSIC, which was an acronym for McGill University System of Interactive Computing. I think that was it. Huh. So we learned uh, BASIC on that. And we also, um, we also used a couple of little primitive microcomputers there with different versions of BASIC. So I was you know, immediately thrown into the the whole idea of compatibility, like things aren't always what they seem, like your your knowledge isn't always portable. You know, I learned that within three weeks of touching a computer, which is, you know, probably a good lesson. So that's, uh, that's how I got started. My first basic programs were like simple Hello World stuff, followed by population genetic simulations. Huh. That's really interesting. So how, how do you go from that to... Ruby and the Ruby way? Well, very slowly. I went to college. I started majoring in physics. And I was taking computer science courses just along the way just because it was fun. And I realized halfway through my junior year that thermodynamics and differential equations were eating my lunch. <laughs> and I dropped thermo and I made a C in differential, which is the only C I ever made in a science or math course. Just about the only C I ever made in college. And um, so then I felt like I had to change majors. I said, well, you know, I always wanted to major in physics, but computer science is easier and it's more fun. And I'll, it'll be 10 times easier to make a, find a job and 10 times easier to make money. Hmm, what should I do? So I changed majors halfway through my junior year, found that I had taken so many extra courses and especially so many computer science courses that I really wasn't behind. I just sort of shifted over to computer science and um, went three more semesters, got a degree. Then went and got another degree. And um, then worked for a little community college for a while. Then I went to IBM in Austin, had a series of contracts 
that IBM. It was the uh, the uh, early '90s when contract programming was sort of a new thing, and people were suspicious of it. It was like, you want me to work for you, but you can fire me at any time, and I get no health benefits and no nothing. Like you're crazy. And then they're like, oh, you want to pay me how much? Well, okay. So that was how things were back at that time. And I ended up having seven contracts at IBM, ranging from like six months to two years. So I ended up knowing more about their internal processes and procedures than a lot of the, the real employees did, and I never never actually worked for them. But anyway, I guess we're transitioning now to how did I get into Ruby? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it, it's interesting. I mean, just, you know, going through some of these steps through your career and, and realizing that, you know, you, you were contracting and you, you had all these opportunities and interesting, uh, you know, ways of picking things up. Uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting for people just to see that there's, there are so many ways to getting into what we currently call programming or currently call Ruby programming. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you came in maybe a little different way, you know, maybe a little bit longer journey than some of the rest of us, but it's, you know. Well, yeah, yeah because I got uh, two degrees in computer science before there was a World Wide Web. I mean, that's, you know, that's just weird to any younger person. It's completely weird. <laughs> No, but um, one of the last contracts I ever had at IBM was uh, around the turn of the century. It was October 1999. I was working on a, a testing team. IBM has this version of Unix called AIX, which mm-hmm. you may have heard of. Uh, for those of you who know AIX, which may be a mixed blessing, you know, you know a system utility called SMIT, right? Well, SMIT is the System Management Interface Tool or something like that. It's the sort of like, oh, sysadmin in a box, you know, very menu-driven, very helpful, you know, autocomplete and menus and documentation and all that stuff. Anyway, the guy who invented SMIT in like the late 1980s, was named Conrad Schneider. And in 1999, I just happened to be on the same team with him in an office across the hall. And one day, he and I were just standing in our own doorways, you know, talking to each other. And I said, you know, I am never in on the ground floor of any new technology. I'm always like a second or third generation adopter. I'm I never, you know, I wasn't in on Perl. You know, I, I don't really know any Perl, and now everybody knows it. You know, in 1999, that was true. Um, so he said, well, you should learn Ruby then. And I said, what's that? And he pointed me to um, the website and to the brand-new English-language mailing list. And in 1999... There were mostly Japanese people who knew Ruby, since, of course, it originated there. And for whatever reason, there were a lot of German people. And 
the English language mailing list, I believe, was created basically so the Germans could talk to the Japanese. But of course, it being English, which you know, is a language Americans ostensibly speak, you know, we're the big gate crashers of the universe. And I think at that time, I believe there were 10 Americans at the most in that chat, in that mailing list. And um, so I was one of them. And Dave Thomas was one of them. And Andy Hunt. And so I was like busy learning Ruby. And Sam's Publishing, which is a division of Pearson, but also owns Edison Wesley, mm -hmm. they somehow heard of Ruby and got on this list and said, so um, is there anybody here who might like to write a book? So I'm like, hmm, well, I could do that. I, I don't really know Ruby yet, but I'm, I know I can write. You know, I, my mother was an English teacher, you know. You know, I know what you're supposed to say and what you ain't. So, um, anyway, I uh, submitted a proposal to them and answered all their, like, marketing-type questions and all that, put in a big, fat book proposal to them. And I thought, well, so that's how this works. And they came back and said, okay, let's do it. Like, oh, okay. Well, great. So um, at that time, I was to have a co-author. His name is Guy Hurst, spelled Guy G-U-I, but I think he pronounced it Guy. Like the, mm -hmm. he ended up dropping out of that, but he can he um, he contributed parts of at least three chapters, at three or four chapters probably before leaving. Um, so then I finished it up myself, and it turned out people kind of liked it. And Ruby was kind of growing, kind of getting cool, but not especially fast. But then suddenly there was this thing called Ruby on Rails. And everybody knows the story of Ruby on Rails. Um, right. The the tail very quickly started to wag the dog, in, in my opinion, and that's not to disparage you know, Rails as such. It's just that I don't like web pro web programming, and it's hard to say whether I, I don't understand it because I don't like it, or maybe I don't like it because I don't understand it. You know, maybe it's a vicious cycle. But anyway, um, it's kind of funny. I remember... Um, yeah, I remember a long time ago, I'm trying to remember what year, like 2003, four, mm -hmm. five, I don't know. Rails was around, and it was you know, drawing some attention, but it was kind of new. And I remember uh, uh, David Heinemeyer Hansen sat next to me at Ruby Conference, and he said, uh, I wanted to thank you for writing this book because it was... Uh, an inspiration to me, especially the chapter with the, the metaprogramming and stuff. And, you know, that just gave me a nice warm feeling. Um, but, um, see, that's what I mean. If I, if I could pay attention to my career the way somebody like 
you know, like DHH does. I could possibly be like the millionaire with the multiple sports cars and, and all this stuff. But then I think, well, I'm kind of happy the way I am being a thousand there with, you know, one measly Cadillac and whatever. But, um, anyway, I have, I have warm memories of that because like he was, you know, thanking me as if I were you know, somebody and like two years later he was like a demigod and I was just sort of you know, a forgotten person. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I guess while we're on the subject of rails, um, a big part of the problem I have with rails particularly is that, is that it's called Ruby on Rails. Uh, how can I say this? Nobody ever confuses Python and Django, right? Right. In in more recent terms, nobody ever confuses Elixir and Phoenix or Java and what is it? Spring? I don't even know Java mm-hmm. really. Or Hibernate. Hibernate, yeah. But Ruby and Ruby on Rails, you know, that's that's an accident waiting to happen. And I've spent at least, well, I don't even know how long, probably more than 10 years of my career explaining to, to recruiters that, yes, I'm an expert in Ruby, and no, I don't know Ruby on Rails. And I know I know semi-technical people, and maybe even technical people, who, who don't get that. Mm-hmm. And... I just, I just wish he had called it something else, <laughs> but that's just me. It would have saved me like hundreds of conversations with recruiters. Yep. Interesting. So uh, I'm curious, how long ago was that conversation you had with David where he thanked you for your book? I really cannot remember. I'm guessing like 2006. Right. And that kind of runs together. That's when Ruby on Rails was really starting to pick up and take off. It might even have been five. I, I just, it, it all runs together in my mind now. Yep. So how early in the Ruby community were you? Were you, I mean, so it was pre-Rails, which is probably predates most people's experience then with Ruby because it seemed like that's when things really started to take off. Yeah. I was, uh, I was into Ruby at least five years before Rails was invented. And um, I think I was using, I might even have used a 1.3 Ruby, but I know I used 1.4 a lot and 1.6 a lot. And then, of course, 1.8.x was a staple forever and ever. But um, I definitely go back to 1.4 and maybe 1.3. I do remember some real some things that could be considered real oddities now, like symbol was not a class. There was no symbol class. You had symbols in Ruby, but internally they were just stored as integers. And if you had, you know, if you happened to print out a symbol for whatever reason, you wouldn't get like colon alpha. You would get like you know, a 15 digit number mm-hmm. or something. And that's because of you know the internal representation, you know, symbols and I've forgotten how the internals work now, but there's like two bits on the front that says 
Am I a symbol? Am I an integer? Am I something else? And then the rest of the bits are the numeric value. Yeah. Yeah, and it was so interesting because, yeah, you would print it out and it would give you basically the number from the hash table that represented the, the symbol. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that little things were like that were changed. I'm, I'm very glad that some things were changed much more recently. Like um, it used to be that indexing into a string gave you an integer instead of a, a one-character string. Mm -hmm. You probably remember that very well. Um, yep. It seemed like a seemed like a problem, you know, at least an annoyance, probably not a bug. Yeah, know. it was kind of a holdover from C that eventually got made more intuitive. Yeah. And of course I um I campaigned for a long time saying that um hashes should have an order to them. You know, it, it, ordered by insertion, basically. And they finally did that several years ago. And I got a nice warm feeling from that as well. Mm -hmm. I also campaigned heavily for an N operator for Ruby, just like Pascal, Python, Elixir, even SQL have an N operator. I always wanted Ruby to have one, but nobody ever paid attention to me. Interesting. So, you know, we're, we're talking about some of the things that you've done with Ruby or, you know, you feel like you've contributed to Ruby. I'm curious, what is the thing that you've done or contributed to Ruby that you're most proud of? It's unquestionably the book because um, while I've written a lot of Ruby code in various jobs here and there, whether, you know, by assignment or covertly, I haven't... Um, I haven't released much code at all. I haven't done any cool utilities or libraries or anything. You know, a couple of things haphazardly thrown together like you know, 12 or 13 years ago that are now hopelessly obsolete and forgotten. Um, so, yeah, I guess my dirty secret is that I'm a much better writer than I am a programmer, especially when it comes to giving to the community because when I write software it's either you know for my employer or it's mostly for me and if it's for me then I cut all the corners that a sloppy programmer does when he wants to save time you know, like I don't need documentation because it's for me mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't need to fix these five little bugs because this is for me, and and I know they're there, and nobody else will ever see this. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, contrary to the spirit that has developed over the last, you know, eight or ten years, where you're, you know, everything you do contributes to you know, the public good, and it's all right there in public on GitHub or the equivalent, which I think is fine, and I have no problem with that. I just... Um, Again, it's much uh, it's much easier to do like eighty percent of a dozen projects to do a hundred percent of two projects. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the first the first ninety percent of a project is kind of easy. It's the second ninety percent that's really hard. 
Yep. And then the third 90% is killer. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, because usually you're just yeah, inventing so the, um, how to do something, and then once you have it working, then it's, okay, well, how do I make this work better? Or how do I solve the hard problems around this? And then, yeah, after that, <laughs> it's the impossible level of optimization, cleanup, I mean, just, just crazy stuff that you get into there. That's my feeling. But um, I, I applaud the many people who can, can do this and do it well and, and do both quality and quantity. But I wonder what else they do in their lives. <laughs> and, and that's not disparaging. It's just to right. say that you know, I enjoy concerts and theaters and art galleries and you know, picnics and hiking and you know, trying to play the guitar badly and hanging out with friends and you know, like all these things that I'm doing when I could be pounding away on the keyboard saying, Why doesn't this test work? Right. So yeah, my really my only significant contribution to the Ruby community is the book. I mean, I'd love to say that there were all these grand libraries and utilities and everything, but really it's just the book. Yeah, well, it's it. the book is something that I know helped me out in my career, and I know it's helped other people in their careers. So, you know, you say just the book, but it is something that, you know, has contributed to the community. So, Well, I, I'd like to think so. It was the, the second English-language book on Ruby. Right after the pickaxe. Yep. Actually, I um, I was helping review and critique the material for the pickaxe while I was um, writing the Ruby Way. Those overlapped, and so they asked me to write a blurb for the inside front of the original pickaxe book, and I said two sentences. I can't remember exactly what they were, but I said, "This is the first you know, Ruby book that anyone should buy. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I know what the second one should be. <laughs> yep. So what are you working on now, Hal? <laughs> there, are, there are two projects that are interesting to me that will probably not be interesting to anybody else. Um, there's an old-fashioned text formatting tool called LiveText, and it's very much in its early stages. It's very dirty and... I haven't made a lot of real, a lot of the important design decisions yet, but I'm using it myself. It's basically just a format where if a command, you know, starts with a dot on the left hand side, then like it'll say dot whatever, then it will search for a Ruby method named whatever and pass the rest of that line to it as, um, as data, and if it expects a block of text, you know, everything between there and dot end will also be passed. So you can write Ruby code that will take input from your, your custom text formatter and spit it out in any form you want. And I've... Um, because it's my own idea, I have lots of crazy ways to use it. Like I have a little blogging library that works with it. Um, I've 
I've done image magic stuff. I could say, you know, dot rectangle, blah, 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 and dot circle, dot line, and it would just, like, magically create a drawing for you. Um, things like that. A little glossary creating program based on that. It's just, um, it, it's something I like because um, it takes me back to the very old days before there was... Um, Microsoft Word or anything, and you you told the text formatter what to do with your text, and it would do it. And this is like that, except that you can write your own Ruby code to process it. So it's an idea that I like, but I've never been able to get anybody else interested in it. Well, maybe somebody listening to the show will want to chip in on that. Maybe. Oh, and I'm also... Um, the big thing that I'm working on right now is an Elixir book. Oh, nice. Yeah, Elixir's pretty popular these days. In fact, um, we should probably mention that you're going to be speaking at our um, Ruby Dev Summit, and you're going to be talking about whether Elixir is the next Ruby or not. So, Yes, and uh, spoiler, yes, I think it is, whatever that means. That that's that's really the the crux of it, right? Is what is Ruby to you, and is is Elixir that for you in the future? Yeah, is it the next uh-huh. Ruby for you? I, I think that's really an interesting thing to dive into too. Yeah, well, I'm I'm new to functional programming, so it's been a challenge and a real learning experience and a mind opening experience. It's, it's not just learning. You know, the syntax and the idioms. It's learning a, a brand new paradigm at the same time. Yep. Well, I'll be really interested to see what you have to say in your talk. Mm, thank you. Do you know what the title of your book is going to be and when it's going to be released? It should have already been released, but I'm going to um, um, make sure to release it by the end of 2017, no matter what. All it, right. Um, if I don't release it, it'll escape by itself. <laughs> so Anyways, if people are looking for it what what should they search for the working title right now is uh, elixir for the rubyist okay and it's basically uh from ruby to elixir type of book it pretty much assumes you know ruby and you don't necessarily know functional programming well sounds like my kind of book but having said that i think that um people who aren't expert in Ruby, might still learn Elixir from it. Like, when I wrote the Ruby way, I specifically tried to make it complementary to um, the pickaxe mm-hmm. so they wouldn't overlap too much and hurt each other's sales. And so I started out by assuming that the reader sort of knew Ruby, and I gave like a, a one-chapter whirlwind tour of Ruby at the front, and I said right away, if you don't know Ruby, you're not going to learn it from this book. You know, go read another one. But then many people came back and told me, you know, I did learn Ruby from your book. Well, that's awesome. Nice. Oh, so you're asking about picks, right? Yeah, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. 
It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. You have some things you want to shout out about? I have several things, and I'll just blow them all past you, and you can edit out anything you don't like, or if it was too much, just chop, chop it in half or whatever. No, it's all good. We'll leave them in. Anything you want to shout out about? <laughs> the obligatory Ruby thing. I'm a fan of rubycones.com. You know that site? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, uh, it's good stuff. So if you're a Rubyist, it's something you should... Uh, visit once in a while, especially if you're beginning, but you know, throughout your learning. Okay, I'm a big space freak, and I want to shout out to the Planetary Society, the Mars Society, and this wonderful person named Astronaut Abby, who is literally trying to be an astronaut, but she's freshman in college, and she's you know, basically doing a lot of outreach right now. And doing it very well. Two of my favorite novels, my very favorite is The Secret History. And I also recently read The Shadow of the Wind, which blew me away. Netflix recommendation, The Man in the High Castle. Love it. The musical Hamilton. I have never seen it, but I've listened to the soundtrack. And it's just awesome. It blows me away. It really does. Music, Churches, Echo Smith, The Gentle Waves, Lofang, Lord Huron, St. Vincent, and Sylvanesso. And if you, if you haven't heard any of those, just crank up Spotify and chill, because um, there's some awesome stuff out there. Even though I'm a thousand years old, I try to take you know, the good things from every decade. And eventually I'll be so old that I'll hate all new music. <laughs> right now there's still like five to ten percent of it that i think is you know just terrific oh also a, a shout out to my two favorite cities in the world florence italy and austin texas i've been to both of those amazing places yeah one of them uh one of them is a cultural and artistic center and and the other one is uh, in italy <laughs> I was wondering if you were going there. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to make a. I was thinking about making a joke about barbecue in Italy, but I thought, well, that won't fly. Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to throw out a few picks myself. Um, the first one is the Ruby Way. Thank you. It's a terrific resource. If you are, I, I, I hesitate to say if you're learning Ruby because I found it also a terrific reference. If I needed to pick something out about Ruby. Um, the pickaxe is another terrific resource if you're, again, need a re uh, reference for Ruby. Um, and they, they're kind of different flavors, but 
Um, sometimes the approach in one is what you need to understand the other is what I found. And so, yeah, definitely pick them up and, you know, just kind of pick up on what the, the aesthetics and things are about Ruby um, that you can get from the Ruby way. I'm also going to pick Obi Fernandez, who is the editor of the Ruby way. He's a terrific, uh, developer. We've had him on Ruby rogues a couple of times and he's just a super fun guy to talk to as well. So, um, Obi is a lot of fun. Yeah. I yeah. haven't seen him lately. It's been probably f- three or four years. Yeah, we had him on the show not too long ago. So uh, anyway, always something interesting going on with Obi. But uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, throw those picks out and also just encourage you to go check out uh, Ruby's Dev Summit. As of this recording, I think we have about 20 speakers. It's going to run for about a week. It's all online. And if you want to watch the talks live, they're free. And then if you want to get the recordings and things like that after the fact, then you can buy an all access pass. So definitely go check that out. Thanks for coming, Hal. It was fun to talk and just kind of catch up. I know we've met a couple of times at the various Ruby events and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Wow. It's uh, nice to hear your voice again. Thank you for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.